Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. It's a good thing to understand the character of God, isn't it? There's actually a church in another country that I've been to and been to that church, and it's a refuge from God because of the fear that people have of the character of God. It's amazing to me that they don't understand Him. They don't understand His nature. They don't understand His plan. They don't understand His covenant that He wants to walk in with you and I as we come in only to the Lord Jesus Christ. They just somehow don't get it. Little Ellie, four years old, <laughs> our granddaughter. Uh, my wife asked him, Diana asked him, said, Ellie, who is Jesus? And Ellie just buffed up. She said, he put sin in our hearts. <laughs> and uh, Diana and I said, you know, we're going to have to work on that a little bit. <laughs> I, I think she meant he takes it out of our hearts, but it, was, it didn't quite come out that way. It's just amazing. We want to talk today, continue on covenant. Where do we get this? Hebrews 8, 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator, the one who stands between two parties of a better covenant. Now, if you don't understand covenant, why would it be better? We need to understand covenant. God loves us and therefore wants a relationship with us. We're going to talk about faithfulness and covenant. But specifically because of the season of the year, Christmas is the demonstration of God's faithfulness to His covenant. And so when we celebrate, we're not just celebrating something that happened. There's only one Christmas. The rest of them are anniversaries. That was the event of Jesus coming to this earth. And so what we're celebrating, yes, Jesus coming, and yes, what He came for, but we're also celebrating the fact that God is faithful to do what He says He's going to do. Why? Because He's a covenant-keeping God. God loves us, and therefore, He wants a relationship with us today. The relationship that He wants is that covenant relationship where two become one. Now, we know from the last week, the lost language of covenant, a price had to be paid for anyone to enter into covenant. They cut those animals and laid the path out. The Lord Jesus paid the price. <clears throat> For that to happen. He, he is the way. He became the way that we enter by faith into this relationship, this relationship which was lost in Adam. When Adam sinned, there is no man on this earth apart from Jesus Christ and receiving him into our hearts that has a relationship with God the Father. It's only through Jesus that we have that. When you speak of covenant, you remember the vows that they would say to each other. Now, that's a sobering picture here. You're standing, and there's a bloody path. That's what it's, it is. It's, it's the animals have been slain, and one half on one side and one half on the other side, and you walk in, and they tie your wrist together after you cut them and put the two cuts together, and you say your vows in this sobering situation. And so it was a given. It was a given. You didn't even think twice about it. It was a given that faithfulness to do what you vowed is one of the key ingredients of covenant, of being in covenant. In the covenants that man made with man, if one was found unfaithful, then the covenant was broken at that point, and death was the penalty. It was sort of a serious thing in their culture. You see, it's, it ought to sober us all up because we're in covenant with a holy God, and how many times have we broken that covenant 
and we're still breathing. If you don't understand grace, you might want to start right there. Because covenant involved a faithfulness to do what you promised to do. But in the covenant of grace that God cut with Abraham, Abram actually at the time, Abraham, I'm just going to use Abraham from time to time. I'll interchange them. I'm talking about the same man. There's a huge difference from the covenants that man made with man. Even though God reached into man's language and took out a, a, a cultural word that they understood, there is a difference here that we need to see. The covenant of grace that God cut with Abram, who later changed his name to Abraham, or Abraham, it, it's, it's different than two equals going into covenant together, which is normally the covenant that man cuts with man. We had need to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We want to begin to illustrate the faithfulness of God to His covenant with man. Any covenant that God makes with man, He's faithful. You found last week the covenant with Noah. You have a covenant later on with David. This is a covenant of Abraham, whereas the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant, was cut with Abraham. It says in, in um, verse 1 of Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, oh Lord, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. That's not even my own son. And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. He took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, and that's very key, he believed and because of that belief, no work, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And that's the way we believe. That's why Abraham's called the father of faith. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid them each half opposite the other. There's your path right there. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. They'll be there 430 years, but oppressed for 400 of them. And that's Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return back here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now, from chapter 12 to chapter 15, if you put all that together and just surmised it, it's a land and a nation and a seed that God covenanted, promised in covenant with Abraham. You say, how do you know he was in covenant with him? Verse 17, and it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. In verse 18, on that day, 
the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. He swore to him. He promised him. He vowed. And God's faithful to keep his covenant. A very similar description of, the, of that which walked between those two pieces. While Abram was asleep is pictured in Revelation. It's almost identical to the Lord Jesus. And I believe and most everybody else does. That's the Lord Jesus walking between those two pieces. Cutting covenant with Abram. Now, what separates this covenant with God that God makes with Abram and that man would make with man is that very fact that Abram was asleep when God cut the covenant. Normally, like I said, it's two equals vowing to each other. But in this situation, when Abraham was asleep, the everlasting covenant, the covenant of grace that you and I, through the Lord Jesus Christ, enjoy today is not based on our faithfulness to God. It's based on God's faithfulness to us. He's the one who walked between the two pieces. That's why it's called the covenant of grace. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You can see God's faithfulness to his covenant, how he treated Israel, even when Israel turned their backs on him. If you've got a good Bible study program, and I use the Lebronics, particular program, which, which is really good, Logos, and, and also use uh, word search. But if you've got a good one, put the words up on your, screen, on your search, put the word covenant, and then on Lebronics, you put in capital letters and, and then put the word remember, and you're going to be blessed in that study. And God remembered his covenant, and God remembered his covenant, and God remembered his covenant. I will remember my covenant forever. And God remembered his covenant, not with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And then he'll turn it around. All through the Old Testament, even though Israel was a pain, God remained faithful to the covenant that he had cut with Abraham. If you've received Christ this morning, then you're in covenant with a holy God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God is faithful to His covenant. God promised Abram a seed who is our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's let the Apostle Paul identify that seed. Is it Isaac? Well, that certainly had to play into, into the picture. There couldn't have been down the line unless it started with Isaac. But let's just see who that seed really is. Galatians 3.16. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, <clears throat> as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, and that is Christ. God promised Christ. God promised a seed who would be Christ, coming of a woman. He, he promised a Redeemer that would come to this earth, promised it to Abraham. God is faithful, a covenant-keeping God. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what it's all about. It's the demonstration of the faithfulness of God to do what He said He's going to do. Someone said correctly, God is slow on our time clocks, but God is never late on His. <laughs> Problem is our time and His time are some rarely together. He says in verse 4 of Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Do you realize this morning again that we're celebrating His faithfulness by singing our, our Christmas songs and, and by, 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 by paying attention to His birth on earth. For Christ to be our Redeemer, He had to be born because He had to die 
and spirit doesn't die. The, the body has to die. God covenanted with Abraham, promised him a seed. Actually, the event of his birth was actually in, in chapter 3 of Genesis. Even though the word covenant is not used there, he says in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, and I will put, speaking to the, the serpent, the devil, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Which would you rather be bruised on? <laughs> the word means crushed. Then God began to slowly, from Genesis 3, 15, he began to unveil his promise of redemption. When I was growing up, I was afraid of the dark. I used to listen to suspense theater at night. How many remember that on the radio? On Saturday nights, my mom and daddy said, don't you dare listen to that radio program. Well, you know how it works with me. Tell me not to do it. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And I slept down. I'd listen. My daddy was in the basement, shining shoes for Sunday morning. And I'd slip down there and listen to it. But boy, I would get scared to death. I'd go to bed. There were monsters all over my room. I could just see them. And from time to time, when the wind was blowing outside, they were moving around me all the time. And I began to call out to my parents, I'm afraid. My daddy would say, boy, go sleep. But my mama, she was really sweet. She'd come in and she'd crack the door open, turn the hall light on. That made it worse because that's the shadows got bigger then. And finally, she'd open it a little bit more and a little bit more. And finally, she'd throw the whole thing open and the delight would flood in. And ah, I'm better off. That's the way God did in the Old Testament. He started cracking the door in Genesis 3, 15. And in Genesis 7, the flood, but yet there was Noah. He kept his promise alive, even though he hadn't even used the word covenant until Noah. He kept the promise alive. Genesis 12, after God had destroyed all but Noah's family with the flood, and after he confused the languages and separated the people in chapter 11, he calls out Abraham, a man from amongst the people who worshiped the moon God. His name was Abraham. Genesis 15, we just read, he cut covenant with him. Then, then what happened when he was 100 years old and, and, and Sarah, or came, who became, or was Sarai, became Sarah. She, she was 90 and she has a son at that age. God just miraculously did that, named Isaac. And then, of course, he, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 32, God changed the younger grandson of Abraham's, Abraham's name from Jacob to Israel. Genesis 29, Judah was born to Jacob's wife, Leah. In 1 Samuel 16, David was born in the line of Judah. The promise is getting brighter and brighter. In Matthew 1, Mary is born in the line of David. And in Matthew 1, Jesus Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. And God just kept opening that door, opening that door. And Israel was a pain in the neck. Moses said they were the most stubborn, rebellious people in the face of the earth. I've jokingly said many times, it's where Baptists got their roots. And he, he, yet God remained faithful. They were faithless, but God was faithful. And he brought Jesus in to this world. So Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order that he might redeem those who are under the law. For those of you who think the law is the means of righteousness, then why would he have to redeem those who were under the law? That we might receive the adoption as sons. And there are three things involved in this, and my time is kind of quick this morning, so I'm going to talk fast. You listen quick. Raise your hand if you finish before I do, okay? Three things. First of all, we see God's faithfulness involve a divine moment. He says, when the fullness of time came. 
Now, God does what he does in his own timing. And if you haven't learned that about God, you're a covenant partner, then you need to start learning it. Just because I want it to happen today does not mean that's the timing of God. Some would say the birth of Jesus was at a good time. Some would say it was at an acceptable time. But others would say, which the Bible says, it was at the precise time, the perfect time. The word fullness is the word pleroma, which means in this text, when it's time had come. It wasn't accidental. It didn't just happen. Uh, it wasn't a flippant thing that happened. God planned on that particular day to bring Jesus into this world. The word time is chronos. Chronos is a, you wear a chronometer. It measures time. It denotes a specific measured time in the heart and the mind of God. It's the same idea that's found in, in, in chapter and four and verse two of Galatians. It says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. It has the exact meaning of that verse. The word date set means a date that is set beforehand. God knew the exact time for Christ to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The time was preset. Now, there's only, as I said earlier, only one Christmas because that was that divine moment in the fullness of time that that event that was promised to Abraham suggested in Genesis chapter 3, promised really to the devil himself, it finally took place, all thousands of, a long period of time until that took place. It was at the fullness of time. When Jesus was born, everything was right for the Messiah to come to this earth. Since the Babylonian captivity, the Jews finally forsook the idolatry that had so plagued them and caused 400 years of silence from God. No Jew had gone back to it. The pain had been so great. When Ezra read from the law and the people repented, there was a turning back to God like never before. The Greek culture was established by Alexander the Great. The precise Greek language now infiltrated the whole known world. It gave people a common language that everybody could understand, no matter what part of the world they came from. And it was the most precise language then, as it still is today. The Roman Empire had established a peace that would allow the freedom of travel for the gospel message to get out. The time was exactly right. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If it was right when he came the first time, when's he going to come the second time? <laughs> Have you been around these folks? It's going to be this fall. going to be this fall. Mm-hmm. going to be November 1st, 2010. I've already figured it out. You figured it out. Oh, good, good, good. Remember several years ago, somebody gave a time, a day. Remember that? I don't know if many of you remembered, I was in Mississippi at the time, my second pastorate. And all day long, I got phone calls from the clowns that was in my church. I pick up the phone, hello? They said, just checking, just checking, and hang up. <laughs> all day long. When's Jesus coming? I don't know when he's coming. But I'll tell you what, when he comes, it'll be exactly at the right time. Just like when he first came, it was exactly at the right time. So his faithfulness involves a preciseness and a, and a, and a, and a faithfulness to, to do what he promised to do. Secondly, we see God's faithfulness involve a divine man. Remember, there had to be a sacrifice. And for us to be in covenant with God, this is different man to man. There had to be a perfect sacrifice, the God-man. Jesus Christ came to earth as the Son of Man. He says he's always been the Son of God. You know Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, where it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He emptied himself of his divine glory, not of his power, and came to this earth. He just chose to not use his power to benefit himself and went all the way to the cross 
And so we see that he had to come out of, the, out of heaven where he stood and spoke and created the earth, created the universe. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Imperfect tense. Always had been, always will be. He's God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh. So he says in verse 4 again, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Now the term born of a woman has a lot of understanding to it, uh, not just the fact that he was born of a virgin. Yes, it was prophesied to be born of a virgin. Had to be. He certainly was. But this is to show that he was fully man, and yet he was fully God. He had to be fully God to sacrifice and atone for man's sin. He had to be fully man in order to represent mankind. And so he came as the God man. Now, as you think of his being a man, remember what we studied in Hebrews. He was similar to us, but not exactly like us. Hebrews 7:26, that we just studied a few weeks back, says he's holy, which means he's sinless and blameless. Hoseos, not hagios. He's innocent, no tendency within or propensity to sin. Undefiled, outwardly, there was no stain of sin upon him. Separated from sinners in a class all by himself. And therefore, he is exalted above the heavens as our high priest and our king. So, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. It involved a divine moment because God's faithful. He does it when he's ready to do it. And it involved a divine man, the promised seed. But it involved a divine motive. You know why he did this? Because he doesn't want us to be hung up in the elementary things of, that religion does for us he wanted us to have a true relationship with him. You say, religion's bad, Wayne. Well, well yes and no. It's, it certainly doesn't reconcile us, and it certainly doesn't give us a relationship with God. It certainly doesn't cure our separation from God as sinners. But there are some things it does do, and Paul brings that about in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And then he adds, born under the law in order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, let me just point out the context here to you. In verse 29 of chapter 3 of Galatians, it says, if we belong to Christ, that's only a believer there, then we are Abraham's descendants. I love that. Heirs according to promise. What promise? The promise that God gives that he's faithful to bring about. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. Now, in the ancient world, the people of all cultures had made a distinction between that which was infancy and childhood to that which put a person into adulthood, especially a male. There was at some age that there was a ceremony that they put away childish things, and that they begin to think like a man. For instance, in the Roman world, it was called toga virilis. It separated, that, that, that celebrated a young man becoming, I mean, a young boy becoming a man. Jewish world, you know what it was called, a bar mitzvah. Until the age of 12, a Jewish boy was under the absolute control and authority of his father. The day finally came known as the bar mitzvah. It was a day that the young boy would now be considered as an adult. It was observed on the first Sabbath following his 12th birthday. At that time, the boy's father would pray, Blessed be thou, O God, who hath taken from me the responsibility of this boy. And the young boy would pray, O my God, 
and God of my Father. On this solemn and sacred day, which marks my passage into boyhood, from boyhood to manhood, I humbly raise my eyes unto thee and declare with sincerity and truth that henceforth I will keep thy commandments and undertake to bear the responsibility of my actions towards thee. That's what he would pray. In ancient Greece, the boy would have to wait till he's 18. At the age of 18, a celebration was held. He was called an ephibos, which was like a cadet. For the next two years, he would have special responsibilities to his country and to his family, to his city. Very much like going into the military if you live in Switzerland. His hair would be cut off. That would be a celebrative time. Anyway, his hair would be cut off for this time, and he'd be offered to the Greek god Apollo. When the Romans held their ceremonies for the children who had become adults, the boys would take their toys, and the girls would take their little dolls, and they would lay them down, relinquish them, because they're now entering into adulthood. So with this cultural practice going on every day around the people that he's writing to in these many churches, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, as long as the heir is a child, and the word child is nepios. Nepios means he can't do a thing. He's got to be carried everywhere, can't talk, can't walk. He, he's a minor without the ability to help himself. This would immediately be understood in their culture. So he's using a cultural thing to help them understand. He says, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. Even though the young boy is going to inherit the whole estate, he still has to obey the rules, and he's still governed by that. He's a slave. But he is under guardians, he says in verse 2, and managers until the date set by the father. He's under guardians. Uh, it was a term that referred to slaves hired by the father to take care of them until a date set by the father. The term managers was the word the household manager. So this boy, even though he's going to inherit the whole estate, is still up under he, when, when he goes to bed, when he gets up, when he eats, what he eats, all those kind of things. He lived this way until the date set by the father. The young boy was under their control until a certain day. Now this was going to be going on, like I said, in their culture. He lays the principle of a practice of a child becoming an adult. It's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, speaking of his past and what happened in now. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, and there was a change here, and it was a cultural thing they would understand. Then he draws a connection. Verse 3, so also we, who? The believers he's writing to. While we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Salvation, you see, is, is God's business. You say, oh, no, I'm chasing after God. No, he's chasing after you. And there's that time when he's going to bring you to himself. Does that mean we don't go out and share the gospel? Oh, no, no, no. We continue to share the gospel. We're commanded to share the gospel. I'm saying, no, that salvation's not man's work. It's God's work. Back to in chapter 3, he says, But the Scripture has shut all men up under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. And he specifically, you understand the Jewish audience there, but also the Gentiles, in a sense, had the same background. Salvation is the becoming of age spiritually. It's when Christ comes to live in you and gives you the mind of Christ. The word elemental is the word ABCs. We were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. And since that same word there, ABCs, is used in verse 9 to speak of the religious activities, the Sabbaths and, the, and all the different things that they had, we have to conclude 
that it would be the Jewish law for sure. But in the Gentile world, it would be whatever religion they had bought a hold of, but had morals to it and had ethics to it. <clears throat> Whether in the Gentile world, the Jewish world, religion sets boundaries for living. In, in, in the Jewish world, it was the heart of the rabbinic teaching. In, in the Gentile world, it was, it was the philosophy, and they, they were all closely related of how to live. All religion involves a system of how to live. And it's not bad in that sense of the word. We get our laws from the Ten Commandments. We, religions help governmental laws. It's helped culture. It's in, 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 inherent within us to believe that it is the problem, that, that by doing those laws somehow, that that might make us right with God. Oh, no, 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 no. It'll set boundaries for you, and it'll keep, it'll keep behavior a certain way. But the question is, when have you come to know Him and moved out of that world into His world? Where it's not a set of do's and don'ts. It involves a covenant relationship of saying, I'll, I'll live under your Lordship. And that's a whole different, whole different picture than before. Let me ask you a question. I've got to shut this down. How many of you were members of the church before you ever got saved besides me? And I rest my case. And what did he tell you to do? Don't you lie. Don't you cheat. Don't you do that. Don't you drive over 65. Don't shoot the orcs across the road. I mean, you knew the rules. But one day, they fell away in the sense that the one who gave those rules comes to live in your heart. That's salvation. That's coming of spiritual adulthood. Paul's making a connection. There comes a time that not time is not set with by man. You say, well, no, no. I set that time. I, I figured I'd go forward on that particular day. No, you didn't. God set that time. My brother-in-law wouldn't talk about Christianity or anything else for years. It was very harsh. 20 years went by, and one day he called us. Best phone call I'd had. He said, Wayne, I've come to know Jesus. Man, my heart just leaped. And he said, I want to thank you for something. I said, what's that? You didn't cram it down my throat during that time. You just loved me. But God had a time for me to meet him and to come to know him. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 